Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. I thought personally if I got it I'd be fine. Young people and sports people we think we'd be okay but the truth is that it can hit any of us hard like I hate not being able to play GA, not go out and socialise with my friends. The sacrifices are the only way so we really need to help each other along the way. Behind every case there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com Supported by the Government of Ireland. everybody, I'm Chloe Maidley and welcome back to the podcast series three. For those of you that don't know, this is the podcast where I speak to professional athletes, coaches, physique competitors and all experts in the field of health and fitness. I'm really excited that you guys are joining me. So without further ado, here we go. Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast series three. Uh, For series three, I am bringing back four previous guests. So we've got four returns on and one of them will shock a grand total of none of you. James Haskell is a former Wasps, Saints, England and Lions capped rugby player. He's played abroad and at home over the course of an impressive career that's been spanned just shy of two decades. He's my husband and my clever little sausage. (laughs) Hi, Boo. (laughs) Yes, thank you for emasculating me on your podcast again or the podcast as I should say the podcast I know I was gonna say normally when we podcast uh it's for couples quarantine but I personally much prefer talking to you about like all things health and fitness than all things sex and you know misogyny that's because you're boring it's not because I'm boring it's because this is much more interesting there's an actual you know do you want to tell everyone that's cool but sex is cooler Well, yeah, I think everyone in the history of the world would agree with that. Well, that's what I mean then. So that's why you should choose the couples quarterly, but also obviously support the podcast because it is a superior product. It's a very good podcast, in my opinion. (laughs) That's what happens when I get to fully produce the whole thing instead of you. People actually get like info. Um, Do you want to tell everybody first a little bit about couples quarantine and the podcast we're doing? Oh, yeah. 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 So uh, during lockdown, I really enjoyed doing things with my wife obviously um and um i really wanted us to do things uh in terms of a broadcast and podcast i think you know we both kind of got our own separate podcast i've got the good the bad the rugby and what flank of the podcast and i wanted us to do things together and i came up with couples quarantine you were like anything to keep you amused and to shut me up so we set it up and it's gone well it's sort of started off around couples related stuff you know sex relationships and we kind of built this following where we're getting kind of five emails a day from from people more than that well that was a day i mean a week like god knows how many asking us all sorts of questions around relationships around um sex dating and i think we're brutally honest and i think a lot of people pretend they don't have sex a lot of people pretend that life isn't how it is and we're sort of trailblazing really in that respect (laughs) we're trailblazers because we say words like pussy and ass and you anal keep, you keep saying everyone that i've slept with a thousand women which i keep saying is not That's true not what happened at all um it's actually slightly mortifying this is why i kind of feel more comfortable in like the podcast is more like my domain yeah i mean listen, I, I, it's only if you care really i mean the only people who seem to care about what the criticism or the sensationist stuff from cops corner is my mother oh i know um, your poor mom. you know she's like you haven't you didn't really try and have sex with Chloe while she was cooking hot oil. And I was like, uh, uh, well, she's actually cooking prawns, but I'm not hot oil. But anyway, that's another detail. Um, yeah, I, she's the only person who really concerns herself. But I'm glad that we've actually shedding some light on some certain things. We come from two different 
life experiences. Mine's very male orientated, yeah. very different perspectives. I tell you how men actually think, not the shit they say to you to just get you into bed. At, but that's a certain section of society. But well, you know. actually, you know what? Being given that we're on the podcast and, and that we do, I do have a crux of my um, talk with James today, which I will get to. But given what you've just said about if men will say anything to women to get them into bed, just before we go into the kind of theme and topic of today's podcast. Let me just ask you this. Do men care if a woman is in unbelievable shape or not? You know firsthand from your reaction your friends have when you're in like mad shape and they go, oh, I can't believe you've got a six pack. They hate it. You know, they hate it. I I can't tell you a different perspective because the expression another man's meat is another man's poison is, is so true. For me, somebody in shape is important, but I will sexualize... Anything. anything yeah but when i say in shape what i mean is is there are varying degrees of in shape like i really fancy when you're like ripped to bone but when you are big tits and ass i'm <laughs> like I'm, right now yeah but i'm all about that like, like you're, you're, still, yeah, but you're still muscly you're not skinny fat and you're not like yeah melted wheelie bin you're like <laughs> you're, you're fit <laughs> oh, but, 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 but some people like the bigger you know i've I tried the bigger the, the, the bigger person I you know, know you I, I, my, my you know i said to my mate listen this bigger person was interested. You know, wasn't really my vibe. Beautiful face, beautiful woman, but wasn't really my thing. Well, we should probably just just clarify that because you're an athlete, you've always really been attracted to and really respected women who are athletic as yeah. well. But not everyone's like that. No, but I but I also don't. Not everyone's like that. And also, one thing we've talked about before in the podcast is that there is no perfect shape. And and where people mm. go wrong, and what people get really upset about and, and don't understand is nobody's telling you how to look a certain way. How you want to look is how you want to look. There is no blueprint for a perfect woman. Yeah. It's just your frame of reference and what you feel like is uh, attractive. Also, you know, you can't expect in eight weeks to look like a performance uh, or a, a, a bikini model. But equally, you know, you've got to understand that no one should tell you what you look like. And there's no such thing as a fit person. Because what I view is fit and you view as fit could be extremely different, exactly. but they're still fit. Yes. They say a lot of cushion for the pushing. You know, <laughs> lads are obsessed with boobs. I'm not a boob man. Sometimes, you know, you sacrifice. I feel all men are boob men. I feel all women are boob women. We all love No, boobs. but what I, mean, what I mean by that is that you sacrifice, like they go, well, yeah, but look at the tits. <laughs> and they can absolutely be the hugest fun bags you've ever seen. Fun bags. But, but within that, you might, ha- you know, you're then offsetting maybe a soggy midriff because but but you're not looking past that because you love a pair of absolute huge wangers i i would i'd roll you know i'd happily roll like a b cup with a six pack as opposed to triple e's but a dar for days yeah i I think me and you are really similar like this i think i can't remember if if a woman is attractive i really don't care if you're attractive you're attractive and and actually but that's also very subjective so if i look at a woman and i'm like holy shit she is a 10 out of 10 Often you'll look and be like, no, I disagree. And, and vice versa. Like, But anyway, yeah, you're right. It's very subjective. And I actually know, I know athletes who really want their females to, to look in shape yeah. in an ideal world. And I know athletes who really could not give two fucking shits. And if anything, I even know a couple who were put off by it. But I wouldn't, so I would never tell a partner that I want to look a, to look a certain way. No. I, I always operate the policy Treat people how you want to be treated and also look at yourself. Like, I respect my body. I look after it. You know, if, uh, look, I think if you ballooned yeah. to a ridiculous level and I was like, hold on, your diet's gone to shit. You know, you're, you're, uh, we, we would have we'd have a conversation purely because of your own health and everything else. But I, I think there's a big difference between aesthetics and sex appeal. Yeah, great. Like, I have met some of the fittest people, perceptionally, and they are duller than dishwater no sex appeal. Yeah. Like absolutely nothing going on. Then I've seen people that you might not say are traditionally stunning. Stunning. Yeah. But are like sexy chemistry. Hell. Yeah. Sex yeah. as hell and vibe. I'm very lucky in you. You encompass both of them, which is really <laughs> nice. You know, you're like, that's why I'm a bit nervous in choosing my friends because you, you're fit, but also you give off that air that. You know, buy me a few drinks and I might roll with you home with you. Well, yeah, if I have a few drinks, I definitely give off that vibe. It's yeah. tragic. And you're very I don't mean it, though. This is couples quarantine territory, so let's Go move on. on. And yes, I know some of you might have found James's little talk there um, hilarious and entertaining and very honest. Mm. Some of you will have found it wildly offensive. Welcome to the world of James. And also, by the <laughs> way, just to be very clear with people listening... I use words like wangers and melted wheelie bits and stuff like that. Fun bag. I know it's offensive. I know you can't <laughs> say it. 
I don't care because what great words they are. And I understand it's misogynist. I understand it's objectification and everything else. But it, I find it funny. So I apologise. Don't think that we had a, a, uh, a lovely lady on um, called Selma Elwadani on our couples quarantine. Yeah, she's and right. she basically said, just like I've modified my language around homophobic language, you know, oh, that's gay. I've got to stop using words like drilled, did bits, uh, wangers and everything else. I yeah. understand that and I'm not trying to perpetuate anything. I do it because it's funny. And instead of going, yeah, she had wonderful breasts. Why not say I had huge wangers? Right, okay. Let's go on to broadcast territory. Yeah. So as you know, and hopefully the audience will know by now too, my fourth book, Eating for Results, is coming out on December 31st. Um, and obviously we do the podcast um, in the build-up to all my book releases. And we talked on our last two podcasts together predominantly about your training and being a sportsman. Obviously we touch a lot on um, kind of uh, mentality and mental, mental fortitude. But today I really wanted to talk to you more about um, nutrition and becoming a professional athlete. Which and don't worry, I know you're not a nutritionist. I know you're not a dietitian. What you say? But you know, you you've you've had you've had a long road of learning about nutrition and what does and doesn't work and and kind of where you started and where you are now. So I wanted to start from the beginning. When you and your parents first decided that you were going to make kind of the rugby dream a reality, did they or you immediately start implementing any changes to your to your diet, your eating habits, or was that something that came later on? The honest answer is with the, with the nutrition thing, no. Uh, nothing changed when I... So my rugby journey is I never wanted to be a rugby player. I never uh, had no desire to be. I went. I ended up going to a school where my dad went, both schools, you know, I went there when I was... I don't know why the fathers do that. Rugby. Rugby, yeah. But he never took me there to play rugby. There was no talk of me being a rugby player. No. no there was, it was never that. They always took me to rugby because I think... But I don't think my dad even did it that much. I don't know what. It, I don't know why. He was just probably trying to reinvent dad, I'm sure your dad played a bit of a rugby bit, as a kid. A bit, but not... But not fuck no, you know, not... Yeah. not not anything worth mentioning. Um, but then I never asked my dad any questions, so maybe he played for England, we never know. James doesn't even know how old his parents are. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Bury your head in the sand. If what happens when you're an athlete, you just don't ask anyone any questions ever. Right. It's super selfish. It's so, super self-involved. So basically, I... So what happened was I then um, went to Wellington College, started playing rugby, got put into the back row by a, um, a teacher there, and I absolutely loved Why, it. Why, just because of your size? Yeah, and he was, like, I'd been, always been playing second row, but I wasn't tall enough. He thought about playing a guy called uh, Mr. Welby, actually. And he and he put me in there, and I loved it. And I thrived. And then as we went through... Did you? Were you immediately good? Because James always said to me, like, oh, he was never a very good rugby player, especially in the beginning. Maybe he had, like, a few golden moments when he's played for England or whatever, but he was never a good rugby player. And I was, I always kind of just took it at face value. Like, okay, why would you lie about that? Apart from, you know, obviously he was a great England rugby player, but I was like, okay... And then so many people that I've met since, since you know, being with you have said like, oh, I, I played James at school or my brother played James at school. He was amazing then. Like everyone was scared to play him. And I'm like, you're a liar. Every, apparently yeah, but, you had a rep yeah, but, for but, being like yeah, the but, future of England rugby you don't have a person like me. No one ever gives you compliments because they think you're so up your own arse. You don't, you think you already know you're the best. Because so now in hindsight, were you bloody good uh, right from the off? No, no, I wasn't from the off. I got better and better, but yeah. I didn't really understand what I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> Because a lot of my childhood and everything else that was just oblivious. Like now I know, now you analyze, now I look at like, for example, my DJing or speaking or diet or nutrition, you break it down, you look at other people. I spent my entire childhood out on a mountain bike, lighting fires, uh, pretending to be up to play an army. I didn't pay any attention to it. I didn't watch sport. I had no reference points. My parents were... The, the, you didn't start. watch rugby? No, nah, I, not, not, I did, I did, I did. I started at 13. Right. My day started, finished with my parents. They were my reference points. I just was just a kid, like just a kid. I had no, you know, kids Good. now you meet, now kids you meet now have idols are like being picked up at, t at five, you know, doing all this stuff. I had none of this, none of this going on. So anyway, when I got into rugby, I trial, I, I went and did county stuff, went through this horrific process to get to trial for England on the 16s. And I got all the way through the process and nothing changed diet-wise, just eating lots of everything, you know, trying yeah. to eat lots of everything. It's very skinny, tall, skinny. Yeah, that you know, awkward teenager. Really face. awkward, ugly as fuck. Right, and, and, and basically went through this process, got to the final trial, didn't get in, fucked up, didn't do the extra training I was supposed to do. It's all in my autobiography, what a flanker, but essentially... And did you think you were a shoo-in? No, no, but when you get to the final trial, you know, you, and, you, and you've become from a privileged background, you've had no disappointment in your life, you think... You assume. You, you assume, because you've got no reference point. You know, I was heartbroken. That was my first real tragedy. You know, I didn't have any pet. I had, I had pets, but nothing had died. I had no reference points to, like, yeah. failure. Disappointment. You know, disappointment. Yeah. Like, you know, my parents gave me everything I wanted or, or tried their hardest to. I didn't really have that struggle. 
So I didn't get in and I sort of cried like a baby. And I was like, but I knew, but my dad was like, listen, you didn't put the work in. I know you were fucking around. I ended up for one trial having a few beers, like 15 with a mate of mine in a, in a, <laughs> a, a guy called Ed Cooper in a um, car park in Bracknell. We got a six pack of, of, of Fosters, had three each and were fucking almost like paralytic <laughs> riding around and trying. And then I went to the rugby game the next day. Obviously woke up hungover, feeling terrible. I'm yeah. terrible on the piss the next day. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way, of risking your life going to work. But seeing my colleagues pass away in our own ICU, it's just heartbreaking. Please stick with us for a while and just make our lives a little bit easier. And then we can all be together again. Behind every case, there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com. Supported by the Government of Ireland. Acast recommends podcasts we love. I'm Sam Bungie, one of the hosts of West Cork, a story about a community on the far south coast of Ireland that became a kind of paradise for people looking for a fresh start. And nobody knew their past. You could be who you wanted to be rather than who you really were. Then one newcomer was murdered and another was suspected of doing it. I see him in the market and really he's always trying to be normal and trying to get people to like him. But we all know. Listen to West Cork now on Acast. Acast powers the world's best podcasts, including the Irish History Podcast, The Two Johnnies, and the one you're listening to right now. And so anyway, failed this um, trial. And then basically after that, my dad said, listen, you can see this as a failure or you can see as an opportunity to come back. You can play rugby for fun or you can try and get into England under 18. It's going to be a goal. And there was a family friend called Henry, Henry uh, Abramiani, basically. I can never pronounce his name, but again, he's in the autobiography. He was a, a trainer. He was about 45 at the time. Great shape. Armenian, about six foot five. He's like a classic Armenian yeah, guy. Yeah, used to be... Tall, dark hair, yeah. moustache. Yeah, absolute porno tash. Yeah. And he used to be, um, you know... He used to be uh, a kicker in NFL stuff and everything else like that. He used to play soccer, loved it. Oh, I it. didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know that until the other day. And he basically was a, was a friend of the family. He was actually training a mate of mine. And dad said, listen, I've spoken to so-and-so's dad. He's working with this guy. Do you want to start training with him? So I met Big Henry. He's like, big guy. You know, that's what he used to say. He's a kind of Armenian with an American accent. He used to work selling um, stationery, pens and stuff as, as well. That was his, his job. But he was in great nick for a 45-year-old guy, you know. And subsequently, how I think he's like 50-odd, 60-odd now. Great, great, um, yeah, great shape. Yeah, he looks amazing. And I started training with him at Bracknell Leisure Centre Gym, which was a meathead, absolute gear and all gym, you know, string of vests, yeah. aluminum trousers, Ronnie Coleman videos on on repeat. In, Why uh, have I never been there? Uh, I mean, I don't know, like Ronnie Coleman set up, you know, those those like bottles of protein stuff in yeah, the fridge, course, yeah. like liquid those caffeine. Those old school, like dark old amber school, dark glass, amber one. glass yeah, ones, yeah, 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 like yeah. just protein written on them yeah. and shit. Like you drink them and go nuclear. Yeah. And So anyway, he took me down there and I started off trying to lift the bar, couldn't even do that on a bench press, 20 kilos. And he was like, you know, trying to get me bigger, but I wasn't putting any weight because I was at that age doing yeah, so growing. much at school. So I remember him, you know, telling me to eat more at more, more at school. And he would, you know, tell me to ask for more f- f- food from the dinner ladies and stuff. And they wouldn't give me any. I remember having rows of, you know, can I have more stuff? They're like, no, no. And I was like, you're going to throw it away. And obviously, anytime you answer anyone back at school, you're just cheeky. It's yeah. like, no, no, I've got a fundamental point. Here. Oh, just your cheeky. So, you know, you're like, I oh, have I'm a life goal. Yeah, yeah. And they wouldn't give you extra food. So what he used to do is bring three chickens in. He used to come in and train me nine till 10. So we would do homework from seven till nine. Then we'd have an hour before bed. Like, you know, had to be back in your house at 10. Yeah. I'd run out the door, run down to the school gym. And by then I was, I, you know, I started getting addicted to training. Like the first few sessions I found yeah. really hard, but but I committed to it. My dad was very much people, like, you need to you need to, to do it. People are often who, who, who take to weightlifting find it addictive and not not because they got get bigger extra or whatever there's something about weightlifting that fucking feels fantastic but, mentally and physically but bear in mind like i'd never you know no, i had no reference points to people who trained my dad used to have an exercise bike i think when he was younger in the 80s and used to train on the bike but i never i never had any reference points to that so henry would come in and personal train me and then he would he would come in and bring three chickens from uh safeways or tesco's reduced you know they cook yeah, in the rotisserie yeah. in the evening and he'd be like right you need to start eating this but but his his knowledge was was great around the weightlift trip, but he wasn't he didn't he didn't necessarily know nutrition. He was like, look, we're just not putting any weight, big guy. And then he started. He said, oh, maybe you should get a protein powder. 
And I remember he brought a tub of this protein powder from a shop. He said, listen, I think you should do a couple of scoops of these shakes, the food. Mm-hmm. And I remember some personal trainer in the, um, in the gym was like, you know, had it said you shouldn't be putting kids on this this protein. It was like, Why? I don't, because they didn't understand, right? And then- Kids are fine on protein, just FYI. I oh, know, and they were like, oh, is it too early? I just don't want anyone listening no, to that people, and being like- <gasps> People write to me all the time going, my kid's 15, is it right for him to like take her supplements? I, 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 would I, like, say, I would say it's more important to be out on a high protein diet as a child and a teenager than it will ever be. Again. But I said to him, listen, get, get, get your nutrition right first. Yeah. Get, get, get it from natural foods. But then if you're going to try to get into a surplus or top shit up, it's very hard to eat. I mean, I remember asking... Protein's a hard nutrient yeah. to get in there. I mean, three chickens is likely going to be too much protein for your body to have anything to do with after the first half a chicken. Half a chicken will say, what, 50 grams of protein in there. That will spike your muscle protein synthesis, which is what you need to do if you want to A, build and B, hold on to muscle. It will saturate the muscle and that's great. Anything beyond that, which, you know, three chickens would be, your body has no use for that added protein. So essentially, uh, it's just it's just wasted calories in, in terms of if you're going to talk about the what your body can do with it. Um, but the, it's brilliant and absolutely fantastic that he, someone who knew nothing about nutrition, knew enough to be like, you need to be on a high protein diet because you're growing fast. We need to make sure that you're building and gaining muscle because otherwise you're, you know, you're just going to be lanky. Um, and I, I love that he did that. So, so but obviously, I, you know, I would never even be able to finish the chickens. So I'd eat one myself and give them to the old senior boys because they, they used to be quite loose at school because uh, I was obviously that generation probably just before it was like you know can't punish them we're all good if you're all good no bullying and I remember one of the guys used to come in with a BB gun gas BB gun and be like run you fuckers run and everyone would be like <laughs> diving and blasting everyone I'd just give them a chicken and uh. shoot all my all my mates and not me so basically I then followed that and then we started looking at things like creatine but kids at school think creatine is a steroid mm. Um, and what happened is I kept, I kept pushing it. Then ultimately I came back sort of a year and a half later, um, you know, something like, I don't know, four kilos heavier, um, ended up getting into England under 18 and captaining it. But even then my diet was still shit. Wait, stop, hang on. I've been with you for six years. I did not know this. You captained England under 18? Yes, yeah. Because <laughs> no, you were fucking talking about yourself. Did you, who did you, true. Who did, did you play with any of the boys that are playing now at that time? Or I guess um, a lot of them would probably be retired at this point. My, myself, Tom Reese, uh, and then two years or uh, three years before, four years before us, were the first academy guys. So my, my, myself, George Skivington, who's now a coach at Gloucester, um, Tom Reese, and, and a guy called James Wellwood and a few guys were the first academy teams. The first time that a professional team went right, we've got academy. I was the first experiment where they had an extra set of players picking them up early. Mm-hmm. Now they've got academies, development, something called EDC or EPD, England, like... Like all these like wider squads, like satellite squads, where these kids are picked up at like twelve yeah. at local level. We didn't have that. Isn't it this was... how they they pick Olympians yes. in China? Yes, they go into schools and they find people who are built like a perfect swimmer at the age of eight, and then they're out of school and they're in yeah. the Olympia Olympic training camp. And that's but it. bear in mind, you know, if you become a gold medalist in China, you're a millionaire and and it's worth. Oh really? Well, I think so. I don't know. Set for life. Set for life. I think. Because especially in these communist countries, they want to advertise their superiority. So yeah. it's same Russia. Gold medalists, you know, important people. You're, 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 you're advocating. Shit ton of needles. Yeah, you're advocated. Yeah. yeah, and they're prepared to do anything because they want to show that communism is superior people. Right. And that's the same with China. So, so then I came back and was in better shape and, and, and got in. And it was a proof to me that if I worked hard. And basically from Henry, I carried on working with Henry for another year and a half. Um, but within that space, I then got signed up to WASP Academy. And within that, they started looking at nutrition. Right. They started talking about nutrition so, right, so you get into Watch Academy and how do they approach nutrition? Well, again, pretty backward. Um, <laughs> sponsored by Maxi Muscle. Oh, this is right. Well, Maxi, fine. I mean, like, approach. But Maxi Muscle back in the day were unbelievable. Yeah, they were the they, first yeah, they proper. Were... Them and Metrics were the number one support. You know, remember um, yeah. Any Given Sunday? Yeah. Willie Beam and. Oh, my God, we should watch that tonight. Lady. Cream and. Yeah, Ooh, with, yeah, with, yeah. When he's like, the Metrics was like, he said. Ooh, metrics. Like that, they were brilliant metrics, but they weren't tested. Maxim Muscle was the first tested sports, sports supplement, and they yeah. had everything. They used to have Pro Max, Cyclone, Pro Game. Yeah, Cyclone. Yeah. My God, I, it, when you know, I first met you, you were living off that Yeah, they shit. used to have like Viper Turbos, lactic acid, yeah. fish oils, but like Viper Turbos, keep the wolf from the door. Yeah, and basically, uh, you know, had, we had Maxim Muscle. So what they did was like, right, they would send this product. They'd be like, okay, you know, you can take a Pro Max and everything else. Is it fair to say that at this point, the only real nutritional focus of the you know the trainings that you were seeing and the clubs that you were coming to 
was just protein. Yes. Because I'm not hearing anything else but protein. Yes. But basically, I started there and now I've got to about 19. I signed up. I left uh, Wellington 2003, the year of the World Cup, mm. right? And I'd, I'd had a pre-season with Wasps where I'd been away to Poland to this training camp in a place called Spala where they had the first cryotherapy chambers. Mm. We were the first, they were the only place in the world that had them. I think yeah. maybe somewhere in America. And we would do two, we would do four sessions a day plus two cryo sessions um, to, to extend our training. Record you could train beyond your maximum. Even then we had supplements, but, but the Polish food you had there was like school canteen food and you would just try and pile it on. I, obviously, my whole objective was to get bigger. That was what, all we were trying to do. So, so Wasps Academy uh, were just basically saying to you, and I guess the England under 18s, yeah. were basically just saying to you, get bigger. Especially, is that because you were back row? Yeah, but but, but also, there was no, nobody gave you any nutritional advice. Yeah. It was like, do the weights, or should we be doing weights, do training, get bigger. Okay, so, how? So I was training my ass off, not going anywhere. What about when you went into full full Wasp so, Same Same thing? It, it was the same thing. Until they basically, Warren Gatland, the, the coach, locked me and Tom Reese in the gym and like, right, you two aren't playing rugby for six months. We're going to get you big. And we had a, and there's a guy And called, he was the first person to do this, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. In terms of England rugby, yeah. um, not England, sorry, Was. club rugby. Yeah, club rugby, yeah. He was the first person to come in and be like, you're back row, we've got to get you physical yeah. and huge. He basically, him and Sean Edwards said so they, the they wanted the most aggressive defence, they wanted the fittest guys, and they wanted the biggest and most powerful. They just, we just wanted really to fill people in. Yeah. They were the first people that had a periodised uh, training plan by a guy called Craig White who was a revolutionary fitness trainer who developed periodized training stuff in rugby so blocks of you know three yeah, weeks they're developing this this, this instead of doing how everything. funny this was like and, new yeah and he and he did this he did this in so that's 2003 he started and then basically he had underneath him 10 fitness coaches over the years that have all gone and become head fitness coaches of clubs, yeah. unions, stuff in the world. He's basically, he pioneered all of this. So we went from doing the same weights as backs to backs doing different stuff, to periodize things, to relevant training, to supplementation, to recovery, to weighing in pre and post-match for fluid loss, for... Um, they stopped you guys weighing in for pre-match because a lot of you started to get all in your oh, head yeah, and yeah, yeah. little bitches about Yeah, yeah, you like yeah. weighing in, you're like two kilos, like, like, I'm not gonna be able to run through New Zealand. Um, so they stopped doing that, but a lot of teams didn't. But he was revolutionary, and we could do a whole podcast on that on its own. But they locked me in the gym, get big or die trying. And basically, I was doing uh, three hypertrophy sessions a day um, in terms of different body part stuff, or, you know, <laughs> alternately. Uh, and we were basically just eating whatever we could get our hands on. Taking, you know, they, I mean, they didn't do German volume training. They, they, they brought that in later with other people. But it was like, you know, three sets. But that you, you would have to bring it in later because in, as somebody who's new to hypertrophy does not need to do that kind of volume. No. And we, like, but German volume training is, 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 a, is an option when you have pretty much hit the genetic ceiling of how much you're going to lift over And time. also it's for people, you know, I mean, I mean, in my book, Perfect Fit, I put some stuff in there because you can't rely on people to work hard enough. If you if you see people training at a gym and you put them a plan and they go like this, and they're losing two kgs, yeah. the concept was if you give them enough reps, even if they don't get the weights right, they're going to fuck themselves enough. So yeah. you sort of overextend them. But anyone know. listening, I do want to keep this on nutrition, but like that kind of volume, a newbie does not need to be doing that. A newbie could do two two sets of six reps of every exercise and get huge. Volume is something that should be added progressively over time and German volume training. Like if you're going to do 10 sets of 10, you know, you you have to be pretty, what's the word, old hat at training and really trying to push your body to get to 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 kind of stay in a hypertrophy phase. But yeah, oh my God, if they'd done that to you at that, you never would have recovered. Yeah, I know. So, so, <laughs> so basically we did that. And then what happened is when I started doing stuff in England, Matt Lovell, the nutritionist guy mm. was attached to doing stuff with wasps. They got him in. And then he started sitting down and looking at how you were eating and stuff. And that's when we started talking about protein and carbohydrates and fats and some understanding around that and what yeah. you're doing. But there was still no talk of calories. I mean, there was. Obviously, I understood I had to eat more than I was burning. Yeah. But there was not any quantifiable numbers. You didn't understand what that was. And as a kid and as a young player, that's... Oh, if I eat until I can't breathe anymore, that's got to be enough. But but sometimes, some days you don't feel like you want to eat more or less. So you don't know. Yeah. You had no concept. So I actually, by the time I started at, I mean, I started up to was 103 kg. So when I was, when I started with Henry, I must have been around 90. Mm. And he got me up to about 100. And then I got to 103 in my first year. And now I'm 120. I mean, I actually got to 128 in lockdown just to see how big I could get. 
But by the time I finished my career, I was, when I played against Australia, I was 120 kgs. Well, Eddie liked to keep you on the lower end yeah. of a higher weight, but, if that makes sense. But actually, so like 120. But, but the, a lot of these coaches had never fucking clue. I, you know, they would come up to me and fans would be like, oh, you're looking too big. And I'm like, do you know what? I'm lighter than I was. People go, yeah. what? Well, listen, you, what, you played the best rugby I've ever seen you play in Australia. You must have been light then. And I was like, oh, no, it's I, was, so, I was 120. It's so People like, were you? Were you? And, and what I used to do is with coaches, if I told them how much I'd weigh, so I said to uh, Graham Round, she go, how, how much are you? I'd be like, oh, 120. A, a week later, I get fear about going, probably too big at the moment. And oh. I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I was less than I was. So I stopped telling people. There's a lot of misunderstanding around that. And I've, I've seen it really be prevalent in the rugby world. You know, look at Usain Bolt. Look at the amount of muscle on that man. Who do you think can run faster, him or Mo Farah? How much muscle you have and how much you weigh has fuck all to do with high intensity sprinting. And it's because high intensity sprinting falls under power and power requires muscle and you also just given your position you have to be bigger of course you still have to be fit and you know you have to you have to tra train for endurance and fitness but my god like you i saw you play some of the best rugby you ever played at the biggest you'd ever been i do love it though like the amount of people when because to me i look at you and you're you know you're my gorgeous husband <clears throat> who i absolutely you know i'm obsessed with but you're just you you're just james mm. and when people meet you and the amount of times, especially young boy, like young men, it's really sweet. Like, look at you and they're like, you're even bigger in real life. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, and then you get oh. the pricks, you go, oh, you, you're, you're actually smaller in real life. Like, oh, yeah, I know what you're doing. You know what they're doing. Alpha mailing. Yeah, yeah, they're just Donald Trumping you. Donald um, Trumping. Okay, so look, we've just done literally your whole road of, of nutrition and understanding and, and alongside training, which is fantastic. But, well, there's actually one one chapter that, hit, that, that I, I sort of haven't finished on to talk about. Was it, so, so essentially... Got to about 24, was working with Matt Lovell, and then and then basically discovered what proper nutrition was about. Well, that's what Matt Lovell will do. And and, and I understood about the different dynamics, you know, why you would supplement, what you needed to do, and started to understand more about calories. And then I started training with a guy called Phil Learning. And I went to Phil, who who uh, Phil used to get treatment from a, a physio, Michael Kevin Lidlow, and I said to him, listen, I'm having knee surgery. I need to train with someone to get back fit. I, I like the coaches at Wasp, but I need to try something different. I want to get a different approach. I've tried lots of mad things. What's the story? So I went and saw Phil and Phil combined nutrition with training for the first time. So we were rehabbing my legs to build back my leg strength and trying to get me in the best shape possible. And he put me on a, on, on a, on a diet, basically didn't ask me to track. He knew what it was going on, but he essentially put me on a um, a was, meal plan. This was before tracking, yeah. Yeah, it's before tracking. This so this is, is yeah. a meal plan this for is, a thing. This is a meal plan, right? Yeah. So he basically then was like, right, every meal I want you to have 300 grams of, of a protein source, like um, you know, like chicken or whatever. To, uh, sorry, 250 grams of a protein source, 300 grams of a carbohydrate source, and 150 grams of a, of a fat. I've been in hospital three separate times. One was the big three-week stay in the coma. Number two was the nerve damage diagnosis. Number three was a surprise attack out of nowhere and I couldn't breathe properly. You know, perfectly healthy 17-year-old, no underlying conditions. It's crazy. Behind every case, there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com. Supported by the Government of Ireland. So was he specific about lean protein or fatty protein or was he just... Yeah, like I asked him what he... And he, and he basically said chicken, he said white fish, chicken, chicken. Uh, red meat, yeah. and but basically put those things in together. And he was like, right. I said, well, how many times do you eat a day? Because I want you to eat six of those meals a day. Yeah. Right? Just because bear in mind... And, and, and that I, is, just so everybody knows, that is knowing full learning as I do and even pre-tracking, that will have been to keep on top of muscle protein synthesis. So if anyone's listening like, oh, that'll be from metabolism. No, it's not. And basically what he did was he then cleared everything out of my diet. So, yeah. all, so I, tr I used to track everything I ate in terms of telling him I ate. So the problem was is that uh, I started to do that meal and that's my parents got involved where I was still living at home. I came down and my dad was like poaching chicken. My mum was putting salmon oh, in the, I know, that's what I mean. Chicken. Poaching chicken, putting salmon. So basically on the way to training, I would eat steak and nuts for breakfast. Protein and fat. I would then eat a salmon fillet out of like a... Why would he, why did he uh, use fat as your energy macro pre-training? Do you know why? I have no idea why he did that. That will, I reckon that would have been to get your body used to having to run on a different energy system for when your glucose and glycogen stores. 
Yes, I mean, because then there's more to it than that. That's when, like, sports nutrition gets really interesting because a lot of sports nutritionists, I don't know if they still do it, but I know they used to, will really play around with fats and carbs as the the energy macro, the fuel source, to basically prepare the athlete for kind of whatever will happen during a game. Because you you once had a game that lasted over 100 minutes, Yeah, well over 100 minutes, Yeah. yeah. And basically, so what he did is, and we did into that, and, you know, I would... We cut out milk, cut out dairy, cut out everything. And I was eating this. And it was, I stuck to it, right? And I was weighing all the stuff out. And it basically meant that I was having like a salmon fillet at the petrol pump, filling my car on the way into London, finish my first training session, sitting in the car, eating cold fish, brown rice and broccoli. I love cold salmon. No, it wasn't cold salmon. It was cold white fish, right? And it was like, the problem is after doing that four months, you're in hell. Like it it profoundly affected the way I relationship with food. To the point where I'm now the slowest eater in the world. If food isn't like super fucking tasty. I mean, bear in mind that you cook me healthy food and make it tasty. There was no creativity in this food. There was no herbs and spices on the chicken. There was nothing, no rubs, no fucking hot sauce. This was just single ingredient foods cooked basically in fucking water. This is what we would call a bro diet. It was the most insane bro thing. But (laughs) fuck me, I was shred city. Yeah. I performed really well. And the one thing he did then was was that basically two days before the game, I I didn't change any of my diet building up towards the game. Because when I was younger, the one thing I forgot to say is when I was at school, Friday night before a game, we would have a massive pasta cook-up, all the meatheads, and they would put like a, a leaf, bucket of pasta sauce and we'd eat that thinking that was a good idea. Bear in mind you're going to, you're, yeah, you're suddenly no, spiking yourself with a pile of fucking carbs. So before, night before a game, you probably weren't going to sleep that well on it because your body's digesting it all night. Yeah. So when, then I, when, so when I basically then went to, with Phil, I said, I'm going to peak for games. He said, no, consistent through the week. On a Friday and Saturday before the game, you're going to cut all the carbs out and you're going to mix a scoop of uh, coconut oil, almond butter, uh, peanut butter, something else, mix it, and you're, you're going to cover that in all your protein. So I basically ate uh, all my meat and food and vegetables. With So I basically had vegetables, unlimited vegetables, four spoonfuls of this mix I made, basically this, this yeah. fatty paste, and had the protein and cut the carbs. And basically then uh, I would do that to switch energy systems. So basically when I ran out my glycogen stores, I would then go and be able to utilize fat properly. I would venture to guess that he would not have you running out for a game without having had any kind of either fast release carbohydrate in in your bloodstream and your energy system or stored glycogen yeah, in your probably, muscle you're, yeah you're because, probably right. but but i i do understand the theory behind it um and this actually reminds me when i first met you every morning you would have eggs and bacon cooked in coconut oil and i was like ooh like no I don't want to eat that and why the fuck are you eating that because you're like the size of a hat and you're like it's what I do and I was like well who am I like but I remember being like this makes no sense to me and now I look back and having spoken to Phil Lani on the podcast before and knowing him the way that I do and loving him he's fucking fantastic he's such a great coach it makes all the sense in the world to me but even now I reckon he'd look back and I don't think he would have done it the same way but he but he but it's a very I then ended up eating the um I think I probably did have carbs on the game day eat and then you know have a, a pizza or something in the evening and go straight back into it I would it. imagine that the night before you probably would have had some slower release carbs that would have stored and I reckon the morning of you probably would have had some fast release carbs that you could have burnt off and then then he basically will have, if he'd done that, and I can imagine that's probably what you would have done, you would have had immediate energy, you would have had stored energy, and your body would be able to switch energy systems yeah. when it needed to. Yeah, that's probably what he did. Because this Which was, is you pretty, know, pretty, it was, like, it was pretty involved, for the time, yeah. for the time, this, I mean, what year, what year was that? This must you? have been, um, I was 20... Seven, twenty-eight. Yeah, so that's really advanced. And, but that's still learning. But for he, you. but he did that. But also, he was the first one to notice your posterior chain was weak. Focus so much on my glutes and hamstrings. And he was the first one that introduced those slow-release carbs. Yeah. Uh, in shakes, you know the thick space. There was something yeah, yeah. he gave me that was like that I bought. That was like liquid bogey. It was like yeah. It's, um, I know what I know. It's what it's, it's a word yeah. you can't even pronounce. Like, yeah, no, you can, can pronounce it. But I quite liked it actually. But it was like goo. It was like drinking gloop with your protein shake. I used to have that. And then basically, I then finished with Phil um, because I went over, left and went to Japan and New Zealand. Then I came. Then I came back. I then started again. And basically, when I met you was when I the first time I'd ever started tracking my food, and you got me into tracking and understanding. Then I went up another level in terms of my understanding nutrition and realized that I'd been underfueling myself in the mornings before sessions. Uh, my mate Travis, who um, at the time was like, "You're not eating enough. You're not doing this. You're not doing that." And I basically. 
uh, and fall into the trap of getting, trying to worry about the cover model body, not feeling enough, not feeling performance, mm-hmm. not feeling uh, uh, training. And you were the first person that I actually taught me about like tracking and were like, you know, if I eat 4,000 calories, 4,500 calories, I'm going to gain weight. If mm-hmm. I sit here, I'm not going to gain weight. Mm-hmm. If I want to lean up, I do this. If I don't want to do this, I do this. What, and when I started tracking my food, I was blown away about how little protein I was having, how high my saturated fats were in comparison to stuff, mm. um, how I was underfueling everything. And that completely changed everything I did. And then Travis changed the way I did trained and did everything around my training. And now I am where I am, where I can basically change whatever I want to do and I can get bigger, leaner, smaller. But that's so that's it. So you only know what calories are your maintenance, what calories are your surplus, what calories are your deficit. When you have data, when you it, it is it's only ever stab in the dark. I don't care if you're doing the Harris Benedict formula, if you're doing the Mueller equation, if you're doing a two one one macro split, which is my personal favorite, taught to me by the amazing Matt Lovell. It is all a stab in the dark. It is all guesswork. And you have no fucking idea what numbers your body will respond on until you start tracking and you get some data. Once you do that, then you can create a really effective meal plan because there's nothing wrong with meal plans and they get such a bad rap. But the problem with meal plans is that they don't take the subjectivity into account. And I remember when I started getting you to track and after a few months, you were like, oh, I'm looking bigger, I'm gaining weight. And that was the goal. And you were like, well, why maybe I should go back to doing what I was doing before like I, I like how I look there and I'm like yeah. if you were in a deficit all that time you will have been underperforming and your body would have, and well, I was you would have been under-recovered and I, I was overtraining and not having good nutrition yeah and you and I remember you being really under, under-recovered under like I remember how you were after games and you got better it got better as soon as you basically started eating enough and fueling your body properly it got better and I, I and, and you're completely right when it comes to being an athlete you have to park your, your physique at the door mm. and focus on your performance and your recovery because that's where and the physique should be a byproduct of that it shouldn't be the the main goal so when you look back now in terms of everybody you played for both you know club and country which club was the most advanced in terms of nutrition and which was the the most shockingly behind i know you're going to say stade francais aren't you uh was was the most advanced i would say stade francais uh was great amazing food just no re you know like a complete lack of understanding i mean it was interesting that you know, before home games, they would make us stay in a hotel in Paris, even though we all lived in Paris, because they couldn't trust the Argentinians and the French to eat properly. And that, they, you know, and you'd be like, what do you mean? Argentinian food is the bomb. I oh, know, but it's like they would they would sleep in or get on the coffee or smoke a load and just not yeah. eat anything. And you were like, oh. and I said, I'm a professional. I used to turn up with my own sort of Tupperware. And, oh. you know, and they used to call me La Machine because I, you know, they were like, always more, always more. La Machine, I was like... And I people, thought they used to call you La Rose Beef. <laughs> oh, yeah, was, they called me that as well. Um, did you take a different nutritional approach when you started training for MMA? And do you want to just give everybody like an update on where you are? With yeah, that? yeah, I mean, the MMA thing's interesting. Obviously, I prepared for my first fight, was ready to go. I tore my pec, but I, I, was, I was ready to, to fight. And that got canned. And they're still talking about fighting empty arenas. They're still talking Not about this you, kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do about it, to be honest with you. Um, I've had a few issues with my, my body. Uh, I've got, you know, I had to have an injection in my spine. I've got three bulging discs that I need to sort out. And to be honest with you, I haven't earned any money for a period of time. And actually, you only pay, get paid when you fight. And, uh, you know, it's a massive commitment to do it properly, which I was doing it properly. It was six days a week, six months. You know, I was so fucked at the end of these training sessions after sparring three days a week in the cage, wrestling that I... You know, it was difficult to do anything else that I needed to do. And I, and like, I have to admit, like when the whole COVID thing hit and they started talking about empty arenas and I could see that you were super put off by that. I was quite relieved. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see what happens. Like, you know, I'm still contracted. I can still, you know, I'm just waiting to see what happens with all this stuff. Um, but the, the nutrition stuff was interesting. I was burning through so many calories. And what you've got to remember is I had the ultimate detox of all detoxes doing I'm a Celebrity. I was eating for 18 days rice and beans the entire time cooked in some vegetable oil and then you would maybe get some, maybe maybe if you've got some decent stars you know when crocodile feet or a kangaroo's tail or a you know or an eel full of bones it was the ultimate detox my skin cleared up you know i, I got folliculitis that completely disappeared because i wasn't having any milk any sugars anything processed anything refined yeah. it was the ultimate detox and i came out of it I was went in 122 kgs. I came out of 110. I almost had panic attacks over lack of food. I was starved. You did have. I, I did. A, yeah, I was like. Well. Some of the stories that people don't hear oh, that happen behind the scenes of that program is um, it's not. A, it's no joke the way they starve you. 
And and basically, so I, I had that. So I came out and then started MMA training uh, essentially after that. And I couldn't put any weight on. I wore my my Apple Watch and a heart rate monitor, right, and calories. And in in, in um, forty five minutes of stand up work pads, I burnt fifteen hundred calories. Yeah. Right, 45 minutes. And then I did an hour and a half wrestling session with five five-minute rounds. So I reckon I was burning about 2,500 calories per two-hour training session, maybe more. You could, Obviously, you train. You can only eat a certain amount before. Yeah. Four hours in the car, two hours there, two hours and back up here. I was fucked. I Basically, I tried to trap, but we had to put my calories up to 5,500 yeah. calories. Uh, and I was just eating and eating and eating. And it was and, only, when yeah. I, only when lockdown came the first time did I actually reset and start going back to some normality did I start feeling normal again I remember like halfway through the first lockdown you obviously it was really interesting because James is somebody who's really really proactive both in terms of mentality and physicality and he always has been he's not somebody who can easily sit still and he's not somebody who doesn't do much in the day he's that's just not him like it actually makes me feel sick and tired if I spend more than two days like literally by his side because it's too much for me And I remember halfway through that lockdown, you had been pretty sedentary for the whole thing. Like you were going in the gym maybe two, three times a week to stay on top of fitness. Other than that, you were sedentary. You were on your astral plane. And I was like, how funny. Like I I felt like your body was pushing you to sit the fuck down and recover. And all of a sudden you went from being kind of gray and, and, <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm sorry, but looking very beat, like your body looked beaten up. And all of a sudden you started to look big again and you started to, your color all over your body, all over your skin started to come back. And I remember looking at you and being like, oh, you look healthy again. Yeah. And that whole time you were fighting, you did not look or even seem healthy. They found religion. In the fight camp. Yeah. One of the guys was like, he goes, mate, it, it, it doesn't get better ever. And he said, and he said, I was so fucked up. I went and found God one time. I mean, he pretty found out of God after it, but you know, anything to try to get him through this, the hell, you yeah. know, because these guys are ultimate athletes. So I, I tweaked it. I'll, but, but again, what I've always done as well, seeing Matt Lovell is I get my bloods done. Uh, and I've yes. worked with um, a guy called Wade Actor as well, who who is brilliant um, in terms of um, stuff around peptides and healing and other things and recovery. And I got my blood done and they were like, you know, your vitamin D is down the toilet. What are you thinking, James? Simple. You know, your fish oils, you know, are down. You know, you're, you're showing every sign of overtraining. Like my, my creatine kinase level, which is basically tissue breakdown in the blood, was the same on a day off as if I played two back-to-back test matches against uh, South Africa. You know, he was like, mate, you are showing all the signs of overtraining. I couldn't sleep, couldn't think. If I did it again, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I would would talk to him. I personally, and I know people will hate me for saying this, I'm not Lady Macbeth. I promise I'm not. But I personally don't want you to do it again. Just on the, just quickly to intercept on that vitamin D point, I'm a really big believer that everybody, everybody, no matter who you are, should be taking vitamin D, fish oil, magnesium supplements. So uh, that actually brings me nicely onto my last question for you. In terms of anybody out there who wants to become a professional athlete or even a physique athlete, what nutrition and or supplementation advice would you give them in terms of what to know going forward? I mean, look, firstly, you've got to understand uh, what your goals are. Everything related around training and nutrition is goal related. You know, you can't be bigger, stronger, leaner, faster, you know, more muscular, you know, uh, you, you need to choose what you're going to do and stick to that and give it a period of time to fix it. You know, you understand that what is your sport about? You know, rugby was a performance-based goal. So my everything about my nutrition has to be around performance-related stuff. Mm-hmm. That is fueling your body, that is recovering your body. And aesthetically, you know, yes, you want to be in good shape, but by, by a byproduct of eating well, training well, doing the prescribed weights, etc., you should be like that. There's no excuse to be a fat athlete unless, unless you're like a super power lifter because mass you know mass moves mass or a sumo wrestler or a sumo wrestler, or a sumo wrestler. so I, I would look into that I would firstly start to cut all the fads and shit out of your life put down a copy of men's health magazine stop worrying about fasting stop worrying about all this stuff get a basic understanding of what protein uh, carbohydrates and fats do understand and, and understand that protein fiber fats are essential carbohydrates you know aren't even a like a, an essential macronutrient yeah but but if you're a performance athlete, they're, they're, they're really they pretty much are. Yeah, and that, yeah. and that you need to understand that you know what that looks like. I would then you know take some time to maybe start tracking, get an idea of your diet, get some data, get your bloods done. There's no point supplementing all this stuff if you don't need it. Yeah. For example, you know old Goody Two Shoes over here, Matt Lovell. We did a blood panel on both of us. 
she scored like perfect. There she he was like, I've never seen perfect fish oil balance, you know. Like I pretty omega. much other than my genetically high cholesterol, which I can't really do that much about. I pretty much got an A star. You did get an A star. Whereas I, you know, I showed Manganese. He was like, drink more red wine. James was like, no. I was like, yeah. I, I was like, my copper was down. Is that you know, eating, you know, you need to eat more shellfish like clams. Um, you know, obviously I had to supplement it because I'm not eating a lot of clams around here at the moment. Um, you did in the summer. You were good. Yeah, yeah. When they lifted lockdown for a short period of time. We decided to like go everywhere. You ordered clams every day. It was great. Um, you know, and so I, and then I'd understood what I need to do. Then you you can see your blood levels. You know, there's no point. You know, it's interesting. There's no point having a high uh, testosterone level if your sex binding hormone is is blocking it or you're not getting any benefit from it. You need to understand how to unlock that. And and you know, if you don't, if you think you're under eat, you think you're eating enough. Like I, I meet players all the time. and go, yeah, but I mean, I'm doing all this stuff and I can't grow. And you're like, what are you eating? Like two meals a day. And then you, you track those, you track those meals, and they're eating eight had eighteen hundred calories. It's like you burnt three thousand fucking calories in this meeting alone. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It, it's 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 and you know and and the, a really you know. An easy way to get your your calories up would be have a Domino's pizza every day. But the downside of that is you're probably you're likely to hit your calories, but not be nutritionally well. Yeah, that's why people when talk, people talk about calories and just calories only. What they forget is it's not all calories are equal. Yeah, and you know in terms of the and a lot of people will argue that and be like a calorie is a calorie is a calorie, no, it's and not. it's like a calorie is is a unit of energy, and I understand that's a unit of heat. A calorie from, from an a donut, Oreo, yeah. yeah, it's very different from a calorie from a. I don't know a piece of green chicken veg. breast or whatever. Yeah, yeah I mean it, it's just not the same thing. But, but people, so I, so I look, I I would get that knowledge. I would also then look at a plan and find someone that you respect um, that knows what they're talking about. So don't go to a bodybuilder for a performance plan. Equally, don't go from a marathon runner for you know for ideas on how to bulk up. It's it's not it's not going to do that. So find people that you respect. Look into it. Take your time. Focus on one goal. And understand what that is, and and um, remember that that decent diet affects sleep, mood, sexual health, performance, skin, thinking ability, concentration, uh, you know, personality, everything. If you yeah. if you get that right, you can you can genuinely change your life. Yeah, I love that. And just having spoken a little bit about supplements, be very you know, vitamin D, fish, or magnesium. Those are the three that I really push on clients. Be very careful to start going like really kind of specific and left of field with your supplementation because your whole body is like a a chain effect. It's like a domino effect. And if you start pushing one thing without pushing something else, you can find that actually it's suboptimal in terms of your your nutritional and hormonal health. Um, but James, that was fantastic. And I love that we literally did a whole hour talking about nutrition, which we've never done before. Mm. I love you. Thank you for coming on. That's right. I'm sorry that this time I, I can't take you for dinner to say thank you. But I You cooked me breakfast just now. Yes. That's I'll, fine. I'll cook you lunch as well. Oh, you're such a kind lady. <laughs> so yeah, thank you guys so much. And uh, tune in next week for another episode of the podcast with another fantastic guest. Bye guys. That does it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please remember to hit that subscribe button or that follow link so that you can be notified as soon as new episodes are released. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Chloe for more health and fitness posts. Sports Social Podcast Network.